Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. We're so grateful that you found us. The JCBC Podcast is a collection of sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. Right now, we're in a new series. It's called How to Be Human. We hope if you're in town or close by, you'll stop in and join us 11 o'clock Sunday mornings. Until then, subscribe and follow along. Friends, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the same verse of Scripture that we studied last week for a second look. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The reading of the sacred word. May God now add a blessing to the hearing and to the doing of it. Amen. So today we have entered into part 14 of how to be human. We're creeping up on the length of the Leviticus sermon, just keeping you up to today. We continue because this sermon series, you need to know I'm having a hard time quitting. I planned to be finished by Easter with how to be human, but there is so much more to cover. So for today, I want to remind you that two weeks ago, we began Uh, We've been looking at every kind of experience that we may encounter in our journey of humanness. We've looked at every kind of human encounter and experience, but through the lens of the eyes of the truly human one, Jesus, the Christ of God, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, we have been looking at how to be human, taking our cues from the one who was truly human. And for the last three weeks, we've been particularly focusing on the experience of what to do when we harm one another. We can injure one another. We can inflict wounds upon each other that sometimes can last a lifetime. So for three weeks, two weeks ago, last week, and today, we've been focusing on the power of forgiveness. Two weeks ago, We talked about what it means to to actually seek forgiveness. When you know you've blown it, how do you own it? Is what we we attempted to pursue. Last week, we flipped it around and said, what happens when you know you've been wronged, but you desire to forgive, and at the same time, it may be the very last thing that you want to do. How do you go about seeing forgiveness as a pathway to your resurrection? Well, today, I want to take a little bit deeper dive. I want us to drill a little bit deeper on one particular kind of experience when it comes to forgiveness. What do you do when the person who has offended you never apologizes? Do you know what it's like to have someone cross a boundary with you or injure you, wound you, violate you, sin against you, and yet they never own it? 
They never take responsibility. They never repent of it. They never come to you with that great formula we talked about. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? What do you do then? I guess what I'm saying is I want to talk a little bit about apology-free forgiveness. Apology-free forgiveness. What do you do when the I'm sorry never comes? Because I can promise you this. You can take this to the bank. There is someone today on this campus struggling, you're still incarcerated in the prison of your own pain, and you have been for years because you're waiting on the person who did the thing to come to you. And you're waiting for them to own it and say they're sorry and they they had it all wrong, and you're waiting and have been waiting, and I can promise you, some of you will continue to wait because sometimes the I'm sorry never comes. So how is it that we attempt to live free in this life that Jesus came to provide, a life that is allegedly full and abundant and free of the pain of old wounds? Well, I think there is a way. And today, in order to talk about it, we need to talk about a couple of things. First, we need to talk about reasons, then seasons, and how to move forward. Reasons seasons, and how to move forward. First, reasons. There is a reason why they have not come forward. You're like, well, of course there is. They're a big fat jerk. That's what's wrong with them. That's the reason they've not come. Well, maybe. Okay, maybe. (laughs) But barring that as the primary reason, I want to suggest to you that that I think that there are two categories of reasons why the other doesn't come to you and own what they did. I think there are two categories of reasons, two major reasons, really. One, sometimes they just can't. And two, sometimes they just won't. Sometimes they just can't, and sometimes they just won't say, I'm sorry. Well, what do you mean that sometimes they just can't? Well, It's possible for the person who did the thing to you to die before they ever clear it up. Do you know the experience of having been wounded early in life? I mean, like really early. And then in that woundedness, there is a a trajectory that gets set and a pattern that gets formed that chases you like a shadow your whole life. And instead of addressing it way back then or over the multiple Thanksgiving dinners where they could have brought it up, somehow nobody talked about it. And eventually they went on to be with the Lord. And now you are waiting for an apology that can't come. One of the most poignant demonstrations of this comes in one of the great scenes of my favorite movie of all time, Forrest Gump. Because Forrest and his childhood friend, Jenny, they went separate ways over many years, and Jenny led a life of self-destruction and pain and agony, involved in all kinds of self-destructive behaviors and patterns that all began because of some early woundedness from her father. She comes home and takes a walk with Forrest through the streets of their old home in Greenbow, Alabama, and they turn a corner, and lo and behold, it's the old house where she grew up. Take a look. 
And there it is. It's, it's just as she left it. Shutters falling apart, dilapidated, been abandoned for years. And she sees it as the birthplace of her brokenness. She knows all the things that he did to her that formed a pattern of brokenness. Sometimes all you can do is watch, feel, remember, and hurt. Completely exhausted, unable to remedy or repair or hear an apology because he's been long gone. An old friend sits down by her and offers the words of a sage. Sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. Yes, in the words of the great prophet Gump. I just want you to sit with that for a moment, that image. Sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. The fact is there are those sitting around you, those all around who your wound came at a time so early that it created a pattern in you that led toward a lifetime of pain and difficulty and woundedness. And yet, They're gone now. And you can search all the world for all the rocks to hurl at the house that broke you. But at the end of the day, the words of the prophet are right. Sometimes there just aren't, and there won't ever be enough rocks. What do you do then? To live free in the resurrecting power of forgiveness when they're not even around anymore to make it right. Sometimes they just can't. But the other reason they sometimes just can't apologize is not because they've passed away, but because sometimes they don't have the capacity. What do you mean they don't have the capacity, Sean? I mean, every, everybody makes their own bed. They got to lie in it. Every tub's got to sit on its own bottoms. Everybody's got to take responsibility for the thing that they do in this world. I know, I know. But sometimes... There are those who don't have the capacity to fully comprehend the thing that impacted you the way it impacted you. And and they may give everything they can to make it right, but you know it's not enough because they really don't get it. You can talk about it and you can explain it. You can be as rational as you can be. And yet I love how I heard it spoken years ago. Some of us are like 10-gallon people. We love with a 10-gallon capacity to love. We are voluminous with our ability to give grace and give love and give compassion and to feel empathy for others. We have 10 gallons worth within us. But the problem is we are in family systems and friend groups and networks in which there are people who are not only not 10-gallon people, not even a gallon people. Some have the bandwidth of about a pint And we spend our lives attempting to receive gallon-sized love from pint-sized people. And this is not 
a problem with it. This is not a condemnation of them. It's not any kind of, uh, of critique on their life. Some people just can't. And they may be giving you everything they have to give. They may be pouring out every bit of empathy that they can muster in their pint-sized container. But if you are a 10-gallon person, it is never going to feel enough. And one truth is this. You can't get gallon love from pint people. So as long as you continue to expect the person who wronged you to come back at you with 10 gallons worth of repentance, you will constantly be disappointed and you may keep yourself imprisoned in the pain of that injury for a long time. You can't expect gallon love from pint people. So what do you do? If one of the reasons they, come, they can't come to you and say, I'm sorry, if one of the reasons is that they have died, if another reason is they simply don't get it, what do you do? I like the words of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh who said, you know, if you're struggling to forgive someone, and let's say that that someone is your father or your mother, and you can't get past the the offense, because it was so grave. Can you, for just a moment, hold, as Scripture says, in your heart an image of your father as a five-year-old boy? Can you think about your mother as a five-year-old little girl? The version of them before the offense took place. Can you think to yourself, what was the environment in which they lived? What were they afraid of what happened to them? Where was it that they were scared? And what patterns were put in place in this five-year-old in their own childhood woundedness that created a trajectory that inevitably would one day create a wound in you? Because if you can somehow for a moment by faith consider the five-year-old version of the one who ultimately wronged you, it may soften the edges of the heart to prepare you for a pathway of forgiveness. Beloved, sometimes they don't apologize because they can't. And sometimes they don't apologize because they won't. No matter what you do to prove what they did was wrong, maybe it's their ego, maybe it's their pride, they refuse. Maybe they know they did something wrong and refuse to apologize. Maybe they don't believe that what they did was wrong, as wrong as it was one way or another, they won't. What do you do when they just won't? It's then that we have to remember that forgiveness is not about their behavior. It's about yours. Because you cannot control the behavior of another person, nor can you transform them in such a way that they now see the world through your eyes. There is something that must be left between them and their God. And sometimes, if they simply won't acknowledge what they did was wrong, we have to relinquish into the hands of God. The reality that they too, on a life of transformation or a path of transformation, they may be resisting it, they may be walking away from it, but God, in God's good timing, will meet them where they need to be. In the meantime, it's up to you to find some way to relinquish and allow God 
in God's perfect timing to do what God must do. It reminds me of the story, you know, Jesus sends the 12 out on their mission to spread the kingdom, the word about the kingdom. And this amazing story happens. It's told in both Matthew and Luke. And in Luke's version of the story, they come back to him because they go through this town and, and the town in Samaria, well, they reject them. And no matter how kind they are, no matter how good the good news is, they got rejected. A door slammed in their face and they came back to Jesus and said, Lord, these, these guys, by the way, who has spent years with Jesus, who knew something about compassion and mercy and patience and inclusivity, this, these were the first disciples. And they come to Jesus and said, yeah, we were rejected. Um, Lord, what do you want us to do? You want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, no, let's not. But the teachings of that, that story are very clear in Luke 9 and, and also in Matthew's gospel. There's an accounting. Jesus says, look, you go to a town and you sleep where they tell you to sleep. And, and you eat whatever food they put out before you to eat. And if they reject you, wipe the dust from your sandals and move on to the next village. Now, what you and I typically hear when we hear that story is, you know, wipe the dust from your feet. Like, you know what? Forget you. You write them off and walk away. That's actually not what he was up to. Jesus was reaching back to an old rabbinic tradition that said, when you wipe the dust from the feet of, the, of yourself from those who have rejected you, you're not saying, forget you, I'm writing you off. You were, you were saying, I dust my sandals in hopes that the seeds of grace will fall upon the ground of this village. And when the rains come to water the seed, God will bring fruitfulness in God's good timing. If you are struggling to forgive someone who has not said, I'm sorry, understand that God is up to something in God's good timing with them. Your call is to find a way to drop the seeds of grace and forgiveness. So there are all kinds of reasons, reasons why people do not say, I'm sorry, when they ought to be saying they're sorry. But that moves us from reasons to seasons. We often like to think that forgiveness is all about, well, you say you're sorry, I forgive you, and we all feel better about things. Not really. There is a season, a rhythm to forgiveness. Just like there are seasons to the calendar year, there's summer and autumn and winter and spring. There are seasons to the experience of forgiveness because you can choose to forgive in a single point in time. On this date, on this hour, I have chosen to no longer rake you through the gravel over the thing that you did. I don't want you to suffer anymore. I forgive you, but I can't promise you that I'm going to feel better about you. And, and, and I can't promise you when I will feel as if things have been repaired because being repaired is something very different than me choosing to forgive you. There's a season because in the season of forgiveness, after you have chosen to forgive someone, you can still go through the summer heat of your injury. That summer heat is sweltering hot and it hurts. But in time, in God's good timing of doing what God is able to do, he brings up the sun and he sets it and puts it to bed. And then the next morning he brings up the sun and he sets it and puts it to bed. In the rolling on of time, the summer heat of your injury moves into the autumn awareness that something has died. 
When we make it to the fall and we see the chlorophyll reminding us that things that looked so alive one time are actually kind of dying, you move into the autumn awareness that the thing that I had loved has now changed. And there is an illusion now that dies. And the story that I thought we were writing in our life, that dies. And there is room for grief. And you move from the autumn awareness that something has died into the wintry winds of bitterness and cold. But as God does what God can do, he lifts up the sun and puts it back to bed every night. And in time, through the seasons of forgiveness, winter moves into the resurrection season of spring and the greening of your heart again and the budding and flowering of forgiveness brings new life again. If you are in a place today where you are on the the giving end of forgiveness, understand it's possible to forgive and give yourself some patience about not feeling so good about it just yet. Know that when they say this or when you drive by here or when you see this person, you will be triggered again to feel all the summer heat and all the autumn awareness all again. But you can still forgive and patiently navigate the seasons of forgiveness. And if you are on the receiving end of forgiveness, you, my friend, count your many blessings that they have given you forgiveness, but now you owe it to them to be patient with them. They will relapse in their pain. They will suffer again just when it looked as if everything was fine. And you must remember a major truth about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. You can choose to forgive the person or the people for the thing they did, but reconciliation is a longer commitment of repairing something that was broken, of rebuilding trust day by day, of testing the boundaries of vulnerability once more. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So there are reasons and there are seasons. And in God's good timing, resurrection comes. One final word about seasons. Like Rashawn, you're doing just fine describing the water that I'm drowning in here. But I need a raft. I need a floaty. What do I do? Corey Ten Boom said something about this. She said, think about the old church bells that used to ring. You'd pull a rope. Go ahead and take a look at this one here. And you, you feel the sound and the vibrations of the bell because someone below is pulling on the rope. And the clapper is gonging, clanging up against the, the steel of the, of the bell. But at some point, The person pulling the rope stops pulling the rope. And when they do, you still hear the sounds of a couple of claps again. And you certainly still feel the vibrations resonating and the reverb down through the tower and all through the town. Forgiveness is simply the decision to let go of the rope, understanding that I will still feel the vibration for a little while. And a final word about the seasons of forgiveness. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, but sometimes, my brothers and sisters, reconciliation 
is overrated. Come on. It's okay to forgive someone and walk away. Sometimes you are in relationship with a repeat offender and you forgive them and then they jump right back around and you are injured and re-victimized again and again. It is okay to forgive and walk away. I think about the stories of Jacob and Esau and how many times Jacob would offend and, and wrong his brother Esau. He would steal his birthright and he stole his blessing and he wronged everyone in his life and it all came to pass one evening and he wrestles there by the river Jabbok he recognizes all of my problems have been because of me. And now big brother Esau is coming to meet me. And I hear he's, he's got a company of 400 men. I'm doomed. He's coming to take revenge on me. And he wakes up the next morning. And to his utter surprise, Jacob recognizes that Esau comes and embraces him and forgives him. And, and Jacob says, oh, hey, this is great. No, really, this is really great. So now that we're good, you know, we can merge our herds together. We can go into business together. Our clans can kind of merge. We can camp here, pitch a tent over there. And Esau said, no. He said, no, no, we're good, but um, we're good. You go this way and I'll go that way. Sometimes it's okay to extend forgiveness and in pursuit of health. Let the words of the psalmist be your words the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Yeah. So there are reasons and there are seasons. But what do you do to move forward? So how to move forward? You know, the text that we read just a moment ago is interesting to me because tucked in that same passage that we read last week and this week is an instruction to us not only on why to forgive, but how. Listen to these words once more. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And when we hear that last line, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive, we hear that with the ears of why. Well, why must I forgive? Well, you're commanded to forgive. But, but why? Well, the Lord has forgiven you. Okay. Well, that yes, and that's monumentally true. I mean, how dare I receive grace, keep it in my pocket, the grace that has come to me must go through me to another. So yes, I forgive. Why? Because he first forgave me. Yes. But there's also in this text a why. I mean, a how. A how. How do I forgive? As the Lord has forgiven you. That's how. What do you mean? In the same way that he forgave with the same technique, in the same forgiveness style that Jesus forgave you, you too should emulate and model for your own life what you saw in the life of Jesus. And we hear about that in 1 Peter. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Part of forgiving the one who has never said, I'm sorry, is learning to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Or in Romans chapter 12, we hear these, these words, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And here's what I'm thinking this morning. He has shown us not only why to forgive, but how to forgive Jesus, the son of God, who was also the son of man. 
the truly human one, the one who came to demonstrate how to be human in the seasons of forgiveness. Now, you know that Alexander Pope is the one who said, to err is what? Human, to forgive is divine. But I disagree. Because of what I see in the truly human one, I say, to err is human. <laughs> to forgive, also human. It is possible to allow the grace of Christ to move through our humanness. And the way I want you to think about it is to picture Jesus right now on the cross. There he hangs. His human body, his bodily frame beaten, broken, bruised, bleeding, pinned up between two criminals. And he looks out upon a sea of humanity representing every kind of of brokenness, every kind of injury, every kind of oblivious participation in the injury of the other. And the words that come to those lips divine, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he turns and sees in the shadowed corridors of the palace walls, there, there's, well, there's Pilate, drying his hands from having washed them. He looks and sees the centurions all around, all representatives of the empire, all assuming that they have ultimate power they don't know. Lord, forgive that they do not know that there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. They do not know that imperial power is temporary power. They don't know that there is one who says to the sea, you can go this far but no further, Lord, they don't know. And in what they don't know, forgive them. And he looks to see the religious leaders dressed in all the garb of authority, those who have given their lives to protecting institutional expressions of religion, having forgotten that the reason it even exists is to liberate people from their oppression, to give justice and mercy and grace, and yet they don't know. They assume everything they're doing is pleasing to you, God, but forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And he looks over this mass of humanity in a crowd filled with people whose voices just several days earlier were singing Hosanna to him and laying, laying cloaks on the ground and waving palms in the air. And now they cry out with veins in their neck, crucify him. And in the fickleness of the human experience, Jesus says they don't know. And peppered all within the crowd are the ones who love him the most and who knew him the best. He looks at the foot of the cross and there are the women, the only ones who didn't go anywhere. And John. And they weep because they are grieving, but they also weep. I imagine they weep also because they're angry. You didn't have to let it go this far. Lord, they don't know. Forgive them for what they don't know. And he looks out and he sees Andrew and Peter and James and John and they're cloaked in disguise, none of them speaking or else they reveal their Galilean accents. Forgive them. And he looks across space and time into your heart and mine. And all that I don't know and everything that I've done and won't take responsibility for, he says to the Father, 
forgive him. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And my beloved sisters and brothers, when you are called to forgive somebody who hasn't owned it, when you're called to forgive somebody who's never said, I'm sorry, you are forgiving with the highest level of forgiveness. It's a forgiveness on the order of the highest magnitude. It's a forgiveness that I want to refer to today as cruciform forgiveness. It's a cross-shaped forgiveness. Because when you forgive those who take no responsibility for what they've done to you, you are doing what Christ did. You are absorbing into your own bodily frame, into your own heart, the injury that they inflicted upon you, and you are absorbing it into yourself and finding grace to cover the day. You are in, in that moment, solidarity with the Christ of God. It is possible How do I forgive someone who has not asked for my forgiveness? Well, you forgive as he forgave you. Now, you could go through the rest of your life being bitter and angry and not experiencing the resurrecting power of forgiveness in your own life, or you have another option. Tim Keller puts it this way. There is another option. However, you can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all of your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. Suffering. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly and many people would say that it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection. Instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. Beloved, when you forgive one who has not asked for your forgiveness, you are in the best company. You are with the one who knows how to take what has happened, bury it, and let it rise to a new kind of life. Don't forget what we said last week. It does feel like a kind of death, but if you let the thing die that needs to die, then you can grieve it. And if you grieve it, you can bury it. And if you can bury it, you bury it with the hope of resurrection. Forgiveness is the shovel that digs the hole to bury the thing that needs to die. Is this why? Jesus said these words about following him. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me.